Welcome to Rooted and Reaching, a podcast from the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia in Columbia, Maryland, where we celebrate the beauty of our diversity. In our conversations here, we share stories of our journeys and explore ideas that challenge us in order to nurture the interdependent web of which we are all a part. We are rooted in faith, reaching for community. In this episode, I'll be chatting with UUCC member Lori Coultry about how singing in the choir connects her to herself, to others, and to our spiritual community. She'll also tell us about why she felt called to serve on UUCC's Trust and Reconciliation Committee, and we'll invite you to sign up for a listening session by Sunday, January 17th. So Lori, thanks for being with us today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to see your face. (laughs) Um, Our first question is, how and when did you first get connected with singing with the choir at UUCC? So I think maybe the more apt question is, how did you come to be at UUCC? Um, Because I kind of came in via music. And I think probably anybody who's been with UUCC more than maybe eight years probably heard this story. Back in 2003, our younger daughter, who at the time was nine, and her choir at school got abolished. And she was sad because she had no place to sing. And I was at the ice rink one day with a friend of mine, Kathy Lilly, who is a member, and we were chatting and I was telling her about how sad Robin was that she couldn't sing. And Kathy said, why don't you come to our religious congregation? And she saw my face blanch and she said, no, no, you don't have to believe in Jesus or God or Um, We have children's choir and they're always looking for fresh meat in the children's choir and they sing all kinds of things. So that started to get me thinking. And that weekend was the shuttle disaster. And Alan and I showed up at UCC on that Sunday morning and the adult choir had changed course from what they had decided they were originally going to sing. And they sang, let me fly, which is a, a spiritual. I remember this sort of out of body experience of hearing the choir and feeling as if they were levitating off the ground and flying into the sky. I have never had an experience like that before. And I should add that Alan and I just sing at home. We mostly folk rock and Grateful Dead, and we would sing in the living room. Together? Like a duet? Together and or separately, just for kicks because we like the music. And we had talked occasionally about, gosh, I wonder if we could find a place where we could sing with other people. But neither of us had much background in music, so we didn't feel like we could, you know, audition for a choir. So we're walking out of the worship service after after we've had this experience, and there's this little sign on the door which says, join our adult choir, music reading not required, all that's required is a love of singing and the ability to carry a tune. If you're interested, contact Tom Benjamin, and he gave his email address and his phone number. And we felt like this sign had been put up especially for us. Mm. It was such a serendipitous moment. And then I walked out into the into the corridor and found a small card with a list of the seven principles on it and thought, these are my people. Wow. So that's how we came to join the choir. We had to wait until after the spring music service. And then in the early fall, we joined. Nice. 
Um, has music always been a big part of your life? No, actually, it hasn't always been a big part yeah. of my life. It's always been in my life. My dad was a great fan of classical music, particularly 20th century classical music and also Bach. So we had a lot of that going on in the background of my life. I, was, I could hear it. You know, he, was in, he would be in the living room listening to music and I would be doing whatever I was doing, which was primarily visual arts. I was much more interested in drawing and painting as a child. And music was just kind of in the background. My mom loved to sing while she was cleaning, but she had no musical training or anything. She just liked to sing. And I liked to sing. I spent a little bit of time singing in the children's chorus in grade school. And I took a couple of very benighted years of piano. I was no good mm. at it. Until at age 50, I walked into UCC. So what kind of, what emotional or spiritual or psychological needs does music fill for you or meet for you? Well, this is another one of those. I want to change the question a little sure. bit. Because sure. music is important to me, but what is really, really transformational in my life has been making music with a group of people. So the feeling of being in a choir part of the choir has been so important to me. It's just transformed my whole life. It has taught me some life lessons that I never learned any other way. Probably the first one is that I had always been a perfectionist hmm. and it had always kept me from belonging to any group of people because the minute I made a mistake, I would leave and never come back. And it became clear as time went on that I was never going to be perfect. That in fact, when you're making music, you're never perfect. That it was important to be able to strive for something better and also to love what has actually happened. And there were many times along the way, particularly the first five, seven, eight years that I was involved in the choir, when um, I would make some really awful mistake, either a mistake musically or a social gaffe. And I would go home and I would vow that I was never going to go back. I was going to leave UCC altogether. And then Thursday night, which is choir rehearsal night, would roll around and the music would call me back. The music and that wonderful experience of being in an ensemble, making music together, which I think must activate all sorts of wonderful hormones because the everyone in choir says that when we come to choir, we can feel terrible. And by the time we leave a rehearsal, we're high. We are so excited. It fills us with oxygen. We have that together feeling of being with each other, combining ourselves to make something beautiful. I love that, Laurie. I think you nailed that question. The spiritual wisdom of being part of something bigger than yourself mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. also tied to art. Yeah, that's tied to that's art and to the experience of being fully human in a social yes. way, which I had never had. Right. It's a lesson of self-acceptance. Self-acceptance, right. mm -hmm. acceptance of others. Sometimes the people who are making screw-ups are not you, it's somebody else. And so um, in, this, in this wonderful endeavor, nobody is perfect and everybody is grateful. I love it. Do you have a favorite memory in all of these years? Yes. Um, we were singing a, a beautiful piece of sacred music called Quam Pulcri Sunt by Palestrina. And which, by the way, I looked it up this morning and I, I learned that the lyrics, which are in Latin, are verses from the Song of Solomon. And they Ugh. actually are quite racy. 
Yes. Um, I was not, I was not focusing my attention on the meaning of the lyrics. I found myself having one of those transcendental experiences. Uh, Palestrina is contrapuntal, which means that there are each line is a little bit different and they weave together to make a whole, as opposed to being a melody with harmony. They're really quite contrapuntal. And suddenly in the middle of this piece of music, we started to get in the zone where everybody was functioning in terms of their own parts. And I had this sensation of being stripped naked and being at one with everybody in the room, you know, with the conductor who's waving his arm. So it's a very right. physical, it's not sexual, but it's this very right. physical experience of being at one with everyone around me, right. with the piano, with the people in the room listening, and then with every choir who had ever sung Palestrina in the world right. over time. And, you know, he's a Renaissance composer, so that takes in a lot of choirs. It was one of those experiences of being gigantic and at the same time a speck. Right. It sounds like the embodiment of oneness. Yes. It was very, like a peak experience. It was a peak oneness experience yeah. that I'll never forget. Oof, this is some good stuff. So shifting to the pandemic and <laughs> how times are a little different now, can you tell us a little bit about how the process works for creating these wonderful virtual Chalice Choir videos that we show on Sundays? So as soon as the pandemic hit and we, we, we um, became a virtual congregation in like the second the, well, the day that you started working, I think it was like the second week of March. Or the yep, March. the 16th. I'll never forget. <laughs> it was right after, I think it was right after our first virtual Zoom meeting. Yep. And I think every choir member felt bereft. I mean, we, we get so much from being together in one room, singing together. And, you know, I have some online skills. And so from my perspective, I started thinking about, well, how can we recapture as much of what we've lost as we can? And so over time, I started thinking about the software that I had used to create practice music and thought, well, maybe I could use it to make virtual audio of the choir singing. So I broached this topic with Michael and he, he okayed it. And so we decided that we would try to do Spirit of Life. So hmm. Michael plunked out a, a sort of an accompaniment to Spirit of Life that we could use as a guide track so that we can all sing together. And I asked a few people to get involved and we, you know, figured out how to record these in our, into our phones. And they sent me the audio and I put that together. And that was our sort of our first foray. And then I realized that, okay, I could maybe do a slideshow because PowerPoint will let you do video. Um, so I made a slideshow and I, I don't remember what piece of music it was that we made into a slideshow, but we did some audio and we, we um, interposed it onto a, onto a PowerPoint slideshow and we performed that. And I don't remember who it was who came up with the, well, let's try to do video. But over the late spring and summer, we started having these conversations about, well, maybe we can do video. Now, my husband, Alan, is very into, he's an IT professional. So he started looking into what kinds of software we could use to make this happen. And UUCC bought software that it could use to create choir videos. So what happens now is that Ross Martin, 
who all of you probably know as a member of the tech crew. And he lives in one of Larry Lumen's old studios, which he then adapted to be a recording studio for the choir. He has a, um, he has a video recorder and he has a teleprompter. So we create scrolling score audio that people can use to listen on headphones while they record to the sound. And um, Ross sends me the video and I use video editing software to create the choir videos. I arrange them on the screen and I create a slideshow underneath it. And that's basically very short description how it's done. And I, I had a created blog post recently about this yeah. whole process. And I just want to emphasize that the video part is actually easier than the audio part. The real challenge is making the audio sound good. But I also wanted to say that what this means to me, not only does it give me sort of a, a sense of what it is like to be in a choir, and I'm very lucky because I get to hear the audio created out of these individual voices. So I get this wonderful sense of oneness with the choir that the people who are contributing audio really don't get as much of. So I'm right. extremely lucky. The other piece of serendipity for me is that I'm retired now. I'm in my late 60s. My dad was a social worker. And when he retired, his project going forward into retirement was to take photographs of the murals around Los Angeles, oh. set them to music. And he created videos of these slideshows with this music. And then he was, he shopped them around and got them shown on public access channels. Wow. So it's such a coming home feeling for me to suddenly realize that I was walking in this wonderful part of my dad's footsteps doing this work. Yeah. I assume you have copies of those or access to those. I do. I do. I have okay. a DVD of a couple of his videos. Yeah. That's lovely. I've always been a big mural fan. So this is... <laughs> This is really awesome to hear. So stepping away from music mm -hmm. to wrap it up here, many congregants already know, but you're on the, on UUCC's Trust and Reconciliation Committee. Can you tell us a little bit about what called you to serve the congregation in this way? I'll try. So I've never really had a community before UUCC. Before that, I was always so afraid of making mistakes that I never persisted in any community for very long. And so the UUCC community is the transformational moment of my life. And it means a lot to me. And I think it means a lot to the world to have a place like this. And when I saw it starting to hurt, I found it unbearable. I found it heartbreaking. So when the call came out for membership in a, in a committee to see if they could find a way to productively move through the troubles that we're having. I was motivated anyway to be a part of the solution. But I also, in my career, became a mediator. Um, so I have this conflict resolution background. And my doctoral dissertation was on the topic of implicit bias. Mm. So I have some academic background in some of the issues that we're having problems with. And I literally wrote a book called Conflict Diagnosis. Well, yeah. Which is what I was, what we were being asked to do. So I thought, you know, I really can't not do this. Right. And I feel like as somebody in my late 60s, that this might be the last time I get to take 
my professional work and do something with it that could be positive or valuable. So that's probably, those are probably the reasons that I got involved. It's not easy. It's sort of the heavy lifting part of my life. The music work, which although it can be very taxing, is a breeze. This other work, it's like, it's like having a newborn child. You really want to be, um, it's very tender and you want to do the best you can to nurture what you're trying to grow. Right. So the team is working on, you've been holding listening sessions for weeks and weeks. Um, and those wrap up when? January 17th is okay. the last day to register for a listening session. And I want people to know that everyone's voice is important in these listening sessions. Um, so I hope that um, anybody who's listening to this and who hasn't done a listening session yet, that you would register. This is not a debate or even really a conversation. It's a session in which the person who is speaking, their voice is centered in the experience. The job of the committee people who listen is to make sure that we listen carefully, that we listen deeply, that we're able to show the speaker that we are, have heard them and to encourage the person to speak as long as they feel called to do it. Lovely. Lori, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your lovely heart and your beautiful brain with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, I, it was a joy to, to think about this as being a kind of conversation at coffee hour, maybe in the yeah. lobby with you know people, real people, physically present. 